how much content actually gets consumed in B2B. So how much of the stuff that we create is actually read or watched or listened to and how can we use that knowledge to create better content? That's a really interesting question. Let's ask Katie Colborn from Bazware. Hello, listener. You are completely welcome to B2B Q&A, the podcast where we go in search of an answer to your question about B2B content writing. This is episode 108. In a few moments, Katie Colborn from Bazware will tell us how much of the B2B content we spend so much time producing actually gets consumed. We'll also hear a copywriting tip from Catherine Wildman and we'll get some inclusive writing advice from Etty Bailey-King. Before all that, though, let's do some introductions. My name's David Maguire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications, the B2B writing agency. And we have a super interesting guest co-host this episode. It's Matt Laybourne from Rocky. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. No, absolutely. I'm, I think people will actually be quite interested when they hear what Rocky does. It, it's, it's a new thing, right? So could you introduce it to us? Yeah, um, so Rocky is an audience feedback platform that is hopefully going to help B2B marketers to make even better content. All right, so how does it do that then? Um, good question. So it's, it's basically from uh, a bit of a challenge that we we found from speaking with different marketing leaders, you know, performance marketers or creators, um, demand gen marketers. We're all kind of looking at what content does and hypothesizing about what the good version of it looks like. So some of us use Google Analytics, some of us use like, I don't know, SEMrush and SEO tools. Some of us are just looking at the amount of leads that come out of it. And all of those essentially are, are proxies around what content does. Now, what good content is, is, is in the eye of the beholder. So um, Rocky's designed to basically ask the people who matter most, and that is the people who have actually read that piece of content. So it's a, basically a feedback widget at the moment that sits on a website, which is collecting that data, getting insights as to whether you know the content was useful, helpful, solved problems, um, all the things that content is supposed to do. And um, So yeah, early stages, we're, we're only at a beta stage at the moment and taking on a few early users. But um, yeah, we're really excited and seeing some really interesting data already. Oh, that sounds, yeah, that sounds very interesting. Sounds like another very interesting data source that marketers will have and not tell copywriters if anything works. <laughs> That's the problem. We've got to tell. We've got to tell the creators, man. We can't just keep um, holding that to ourselves and then oh. not putting it into good briefs and, and actually helping you guys. Because um, the feedback loop is a thing that we hypothesize about as a as a theory that has never come into action. It's uh... we, when we do emails, we get asked to do different thing, headlines and things for A B testing, and then they never tell us which one worked. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's weirdly reassuring to hear everyone having the same challenge, put it that way, because you're like, is someone doing this amazingly that no one told us about? But <laughs> I know that you're going to have lots to say uh, about this topic, this question that we're, we're talking about today, but we'll come on to that. Before that... Could you tell the listener how they can get in touch with the show, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, listener, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can find Radix on LinkedIn or Twitter. At Radix.com.
Or if you want us to answer your question on a future episode, record a quick voice note and send it in by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com That's marvellous. Thank you very much. Copywriting Pro Tip Hello, this is Catherine from Hayden Gray and my favourite short copywriting tip is to remember that you're only ever writing to one person at a time. So it's never about the collective, all of us, some of you, nothing like that. It's a conversation between me and what's happening in my head and the reader and what's happening in their head, one-to-one. Very intimate, very... um, privileged so only only ever write to that one person thanks for having me thanks Catherine. that's really great advice so simple but so very effective yeah do you know that might actually be my favorite copywriting tip of all time I can see why. It's it's time for our big question for this episode and it comes from Irene Trindle at Say What. Hi podcast listeners I have a question that um, pretty much bugs me every time I create a content program for one of my clients um, or, or actually write any content um, in the B2B space. And it's how much content actually gets consumed in B2B. So how much of the stuff that we create is actually read or watched or listened to, um, especially in B2B. I think we all share that belief that content works because, you know, we assume that when when a vendor shares valuable expertise and shares knowledge about their market, they're able to engage their prospects and they drive leads because they build authority, they build credibility. And we know that B2B tech companies invest a lot in content creation um, and I hope they measure um, the value of, uh, of that. Um, yeah, so I would, um, I would love to hear from someone who measures this sort of stuff. You know, that'd be super interesting. And ultimately, um, you know, what can we learn from that for for our content practice? And how can we use that knowledge to create better content? There's a lot to answer there, Irene, but you are absolutely right. As content creators, it can be super easy just to publish and think that the job's done. But actually, what does happen next? And how do we respond to that and learn from it? Okay, Matt, I know you have lots of thoughts on this. But first, I'd like to hear from Katie Colborn, who's Senior Manager for Global Demand Generation at Bazware. I started by asking her Irene's question. Essentially, how much of the content we write actually does get read? So I think that's a tough question to answer, but my gut would tell me that probably not all of it, mm-hmm. um, or not a lot, surprisingly as that may sound, just because, um, like, firsthand from obviously working in the industry for several years now, I know that we spend lots of effort and time producing white papers, research reports, case studies, etc. But actually, because we're talking about B2B audiences, they're quite niche anyway, if you compare that to B2C. Um, and then if you consider conversion rates and engagement and all of those types of things, by the time you actually get down to the bottom of that, funnel if you want to call it that um I think those numbers are actually quite small but what I would say is that I don't think that's a bad thing because I think it does for the people who are looking for that content they need to engage with it they need the case studies for an RFP or whatever it might be I think the effort sort of pays off and does that job 
Um, but then you also always have that evergreen content, which I think is always is always there. It's the it's kind of your bread and butter information around your propositions, your solutions, your fact sheets, which again, they're not being read every single day, but actually they're being read when they need to be. So when you get to certain points in a conversation with a prospect and all of those types of things. Um, and then just I would add one more thing to that. I think if we're talking about research reports or anything that's considered thought leadership um, or current affairs or anything like that, I would always say there's a naturally a big peak in, in the way that's being absorbed and read. But then that will naturally tailor off and it's harder to make those types of materials be evergreen content after a certain number of months. So that's a long answer. Hopefully that sort of answers that in many ways. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think so. So, so, so to summarise, um, it is a, a, a small audience for a, for a lot of content. Exactly, yeah. Um, but that's okay because potentially it's a high-value audience or it, it, it's a valuable job that, that, that it's doing when it is used. Yes. Yeah. Um, and also... Some of them are like a long, slow burn with a little audience, but, you know, stretched out. And some do attract a lot of attention, but those might not be the most valuable pieces in the the long term. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. You mentioned um, engagement and readership and, and things like that. In that situation where you have different kind of audiences for different kinds of things, what kind of metrics do you think are as sensible to, to, to define what a, a B2B piece of content is is doing? Yeah, so um, I, that depends on obviously the piece of content. So if we're looking at things like blogs, it would be looking at the number of page views that you've got, anybody that's shared um, that blog with anybody on Twitter or the email, whatever that might be. So they forwarded it on to a colleague. Um, and equally as well, if there are links in that blog, if they've clicked on that. So again, it's not just saying who's looked at the blog, but actually who's engaged, digested it and read it. Um, if you're talking about videos, it would obviously be video plays, but importantly, video plays sort of to the end or further on in. So you can see those statistics and, and most of those video platforms now. Um, and then I think when you're talking about things like white papers um, or research reports, it would naturally be conversions. And that's what I was meaning around my comment earlier about is a small audience, because by the time somebody lands on a web page, they I'd love to tell you 100% of them engage with it and read every single word and they fill in all the forms you want them to. But actually, you know, we're talking sort of 10, 15% of those people doing something on that page. So again, that number is sort of dramatically reduced. Um, so I think those would be the main statistics we would be looking for. But then also as well, I would be also considering things like blog subscriptions, um, newsletter subscriptions. So these are kind of some of those softer metrics, but it, if somebody's come on the site from their own organic searching or whatever it might be, um, those are types of things that would indicate an interest there and that they've, in, they've liked the content and they want to see more and hear more from us. So again, it's not just the raw number of how many people are are um, reading. It's actually what those people are, are doing and and how much it's kind of affecting or or, or engaging them or or moving them forward through the the process. Um, yeah, because I think um, 
obviously in the B2C world, you get millions of views on a, on a YouTube video. You can see that when they release movie trails and things like that, trailers even. But that's never going to be the case in B2B. And even if you did get, let's say, I don't know, 100,000 views on a video, the propensity of pe- those viewers actually having any intention to buy like now or if, in a time in the future is so low that actually that's fantastic as a vanity metric and obviously it's great to sort of say but if you get a hundred viewers that are all engaged that's actually much better in my opinion sure just in the context of b2b that is not yeah, b2c course. obviously um absolutely so Kind of, you mentioned sort of a hundred really engaged viewers there, and I, I guess it you know depends on the brand and a lot of other things. But when you're looking at your kind of you know the the bucket of metrics that that, that you're looking at for different pieces of content, are there particular numbers, particular you know benchmarks that kind of give you a a rule of thumb that yeah, this one you know what stands out to you as as a success? What does that look like? when you're evaluating content? So I think if we want to get a, a general like perception of how the content is, like what good quality it is, if it's interesting, engaging, all of those types of things, we would actually be looking across all of the different channels um, because that gives you, I think, a fairer representation rather than just, say, looking at people that are coming onto the website. So are people engaging in it in LinkedIn? Are they engaging with it in Twitter? Are they clicking through from newsletter features? Um, are, are equally RRAs telling us that that was a great piece of content? It helped us start a conversation. Um, so some of those kind of metrics or opinions, if you like, are mixed of offline as well. If, it, if you're an event booth, is that the most sort of picked up assets? Um, if you're presenting on it, similarly in an event keynote, are people actively asking questions about it? So there's so many ways, I think, to define what a great piece of content is. But I think, again, for us, for me anyway, in my career, it's always been a piece of content that is has enough breadth to be repurposed in lots of different ways. So it's not just the white paper itself or fact sheet, whatever it is, but actually it's something that can be divided up and used across different channels um, and definitely spread kind of the the content from the asset itself. Yeah, one sidebar to that, that I'm interested in is you mentioned kind of the offline stuff, you know, mm. things getting picked up at events, people asking questions about it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Is it possible to capture that anywhere and include that in your reporting or is that all sort of done through word of mouth kind of in your marketing department um yeah again I think it depends so obviously um if we're talking about sales guys sending a prospect a piece of content and then talking about it with them in a follow-up meeting or something there are various tools you can actually use now to do that, to see if the prospect has engaged with it. Um, so you can add that to any anecdotes that also come out of the meeting. So there's tools like Showpad, Brandfolder, all of those types of ones that allow you to see if a prospect has engaged. And that's just coming from an Outlook email or even a LinkedIn email invite, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's at an event or kind of a round table, then I guess that is more anecdotal. Um, unless you were sort of capturing contacts at booths for an asset. But I think people tend to veer away from that these days because it's such a kind of 
a blocker. Yeah, I suppose even these days when everything is quantified, sometimes you just get a, a sense of the, the temperature of the, the response to, to something that can't always be quantified and, and measured, I, I guess. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to ask is um, how common is it that a piece of content really doesn't deliver? Like, it just doesn't resonate. Nobody's interested. Like, does that happen a lot? Is that you know, half the time? Is that one in 10? You know, how many ones are there that really, really engage the audience? And how many are there where it's like crickets? Because there must be some that, that for whatever reason just miss, right? Yeah, I'm trying to think now. Um, <laughs> let's have a think. Do you know what? And um, I think sometimes, and this isn't any disrespect to you because I know your agency side but and I've been agency side for 10 years mm. but there have sure. been a number of ideas over the years that we've suggested to clients um where we suggest it because it's cool if you know what I mean so it's actually mm-hmm. a good idea the creators are really excited about it but when you actually deliver that piece of content the prospects aren't interested because it's just a different audience so I think sometimes I'd like to say that doesn't happen as often now. This I'm talking sort of years ago when you'd sort of come mm. up with these ideas and not do the research. But I think as long as you know if you're close to your audience and your customers, um, so not just from your own own research, so focus groups, questionnaires, whatever it might be, but actually you're reading reports about them, like what are their challenges, what are their pain points, then I'd like to think that in today's world most of the content that you do write is relevant to somebody. Mm. It's not a complete sort of waste of time. But I think sometimes when we try and do like the bigger ideas in B2B or um, do those kind of things that we want to go viral, and and again, I am talking years ago now when that was kind of Mm. a thing. Um, And you know when clients say, oh, it's something that goes viral... I think those are the ideas that actually <laughs> they kind of don't work. But so these days, the less that you're kind of trying to be cool, the more that you're plugged into your audience, the, you know, you might not always get those bits of content that go just get a stratospheric response. But similarly, your baseline will be better. You know, there'll, there'll be relatively these days, relatively few pieces of content then that just don't resonate at all because everything kind of has its place for someone. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a fair summary. I would say that if you're producing content that doesn't resonate with your audience in today's world, then I think you're doing something wrong, really. Um, Because I think that's a massive alert that you're not listening to your customers and you don't know your customers. Um, Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, that's <my> <laughs> well, I don't know what that's. That's just my opinion. Um, but we no, no, no. I, I think it's valid. Yeah, and also I think there's less of that in B two B as well because um, obviously budgets are smaller, things like that. So you do have to be really focused on what you're doing. You have to be constantly thinking about what is the cost of getting a new customer, how much is this going to convert. Um, there's that constant ROI of marketing spend uh, being analysed in B2B and that's across the board that, that that's not just where I am now like that's always been a thing 
Um, so I think you're, you have to deliver. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So the advice then for the listener is really to listen to the audience, to avoid a piece of content that really doesn't get read. Do you have any advice practically on how they can do that or which metrics to watch to see if it's working? Yeah, so, um, well, I think before you even do that, I would just really ask yourself if you think this is going to add value to somebody and is it interesting? So I used to do loads of social media training a few years ago and that was the first thing we used to all say about posting tweets, LinkedIn posts, whatever. Is this actually interesting? Would you want to read it? So I would always start with that question and then in regards to actually relating those answers to your audience, I would do maybe some desk research, see if there's any latest studies on sort of what are the top challenges um, and you'd be looking for sort of industry analyst research preferably, but even analysts from sort of business publications like The Economist, they're always good ones to look at to get that broader view. Um, and then if you have any customers that you can call on or if you can speak to any of the account managers in your business that are talking to the customers regularly, just ask them what they're hearing what are people's challenges? What are they struggling with? What What's working for them as well? Like, where do they want to sort of keep building on? Um, and then to me, it's a bit like a jigsaw. You have to sort of fit all of that research together um, to come up with a piece of content, hopefully, that, that works and engages and delivers. And I would also look at what's worked before as well for yourself. So look at your top performing assets. So views, watches, um, shares all of those types of metrics and then equally as well I would see what your competition are doing that's always really good to be aware of um, because whatever they're focusing on obviously I'm not saying copy your competition but it's good to be aware of the challenges their customers are seeing too so I think it's that rounded picture that you need Um, they're very simple in isolation but when you bring them all together I think that that really gives you that holistic view for what your audience want to engage with that's amazing Katie thank you so much Um, if the listener wants to hear more from you get more of your kind of wisdom and insights where can they find you yeah so you can obviously connect with me on LinkedIn or you can follow my Twitter handle which is just my full name Katie Colborn that's perfect tweet regularly there (laughs) thanks katie you've taken irene's question in a really interesting direction there matt i know you'll be revving your engines wanting to weigh in on this one so what stood out for you from what katie had to say um there's loads loads of really good stuff to to go through there um one of the things that actually was really sort of landed for me was uh, around audience size and, and total addressable market. Um, and, you know, I think to, to answer kind of the, the overarching question, how much content actually gets seen, sometimes very little of it. And that's not a bad thing. I completely agree with uh, with what Katie's saying on it because, you know, um, you know that, that one article, that one blog that was sat somewhere on the, you know, somewhere on the website that you wouldn't expect it to be might have influenced the, the most important person in that decision-making unit. It might have been the thing that made them go, do you know what, I, I really want to work with this company. And that unlocks a, a huge deal, a huge opportunity for that business, which 
um, which is absolutely incredible. So um, I think we have to be like quite smart between some of the metrics we look at and you know what the the relevance is sometimes because. I think we get lost in in those comparisons you see with yeah. oh this YouTube video got a hundred thousand views. She she said that perfectly. Like it's not going to happen in B two B. Our market might only be a hundred thousand people. Not all of them are going to watch that video. So um, yeah. it's it's so relative. Oh, isn't it, it might be way fewer than that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and sometimes intentionally so. Sometimes you intentionally write a piece that's for a subset of a subset of a subset of a market. So, you know, within a vertical, it's someone in a particular job role that's facing a particular challenge at a particular time, you know. And that's why ABM works so well, because the content is so laser focused at a particular person facing a, a, a particular challenge. And, and no one looks at ABM content and goes, but the audience is really small, like... That's the point. Um, so if the size of the audience and, and the size of the readership is not necessarily that meaningful a metric, what, what kind of metrics actually are useful in improving content, do you think? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a good good point because um, we, we rely as, as marketers so much off of quant data. And I, I'm, I feel like such a nerd when I talk like that because I, I don't mean, that's quant or qual data and I look at it like that because I look at numbers. So. Um, but we rely so heavily off of those quite kind of quant metrics and the difficulty is sometimes in ascertain, is ascertaining where the real value in some of those metrics are. So you've got your distribution metrics, you know, um, just reaching people and uh, having an exposure of your content or your advertising, be it on a website, social media, whatever it is, isn't necessarily a metric of quality or or performance. It just shows you, your distribution strategy worked and you, you found the people. So um, we can't measure things like that. But again, Katie really came onto it quite nicely. It's when you start to work into that data, you find some, some real meaning and value. So I suppose the next line of metrics you look at around value and engagement um, and those are things like, you know, how many people actually viewed the video all the way through or how many people scrolled to the bottom of this piece of content or what the dwell time was on a website, for example. Now you're starting to get some proxy around that content to say, oh, do you know what? We're, we're getting good engagement with it. It's, it's, it's keeping people entertained or interested. And then, uh, again, she put, said it perfectly, the, the next kind of value is, are people... Are people doing things with this content? Are they commenting on it um, on social media? Are they leaving notes on YouTube videos or on your LinkedIn posts? Are they sharing it? Are they tagging people in? That shows you're, you're getting traction. And obviously, we know social media algorithms love that as well. Um, and then there's the final metrics, which I think are, are possibly the most valuable. And first one is obviously, has it led to someone going to make a very positive action? So in the content itself... You know, is there a call to action? We want you to do X or Y or take a demo, whatever that may be. That's a, a great indicator that content has influenced that person or changed their behavior. Um, and the other thing that I think is is valuable and interesting, and I know has been mentioned on previous podcasts, is is their feedback. Is is there someone saying, do you know what? I read this and I really enjoyed it. It's um, it helped me solve a problem. It, it it you know gave me an answer to a challenge I couldn't face, or I found it incredibly entertaining or amusing. Like those are the kind of the the real deep qualitative metrics which we can go. Do you know what? We're 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 making valuable stuff here. We're really adding adding stuff to organization. So a super long answer there, but uh, there's lots of different tiers to look at. Yeah. Are there any sort of, when you look at the, the quant data, so you've got me doing it now. Uh, <laughs> when, you, when you look at that quantitative data, um, the, are there 
particular benchmarks or rules of thumb within that where you can kind of say, well, if there's one piece, you know, if someone's spent four minutes on something, if someone has spent five minutes on something, if someone has read 80% of it, or, you know, is there something where you kind of, you know, Mm. it will then correlate with the other qualitative stuff where you kind of go, all right, if the average read time on this, the average dwell time is beyond a certain amount, we kind of know it's doing well. Or there's so many variables that you can't actually get any meaningful rules of thumb out of it. Yeah, it's, you've, you've just uncovered one of the biggest problems we have because I don't think there's many people doing this well. So um, I suppose the two metrics I would always consider most valuable out of quant is essentially the dwell time, which also in GA4 now is we're kind of looking at as engagement rate. Um, and also something called scroll through rate. So how many people have got maybe towards the bottom of the page? But these are still imperfect indicators. They're proxies. So as a perfect example of that, to say the best dwell time has got to be relative to the content. So I don't know how big that piece of content is unless I've got a very fancy spreadsheet or a data studio report which tells me, you know, that blog should take someone five minutes to read. Therefore, we expect a dwell time of five minutes. And to have that data married up with stuff that's coming out of analytics, there's there's only a very small amount of very sophisticated marketers who are doing that to kind of go, do you know what, we're, we're really getting high read-through rates and engagement rates of our content. But that's kind of what I mean. There's, there's, there's a lot of imperfections there as well, even things like, you know, the UX of the website, you know, the, the layout and structure of how you've put that content. Has it got too many images in? Is it hard to scroll? There's so many things, so many variables, as you say, mm. which actually make it um, not quite as black and white as, as we need. So um, I think it's a challenge. We, you know, we have to be talking about more in, in content marketing. Um, a thing I hadn't planned to ask you about, actually, but you mentioned there, so I'm gonna, is uh, GA4, so the new Google Analytics. Um, so engagement's in there as a, as a metric. Is there stuff in there that's going to help people make better content, you think? Or is it too early to say? Because I know GA4 is a thing that people are just just beginning to get their heads around, if they're even doing that at the moment. Yeah, um, and we've got to get we've got to get onto it quickly because Google are uh, kicking out the old version of Google Analytics. I think summer of next year, so we have to we have to embrace GA four now um, or similar packages. Other other providers are available, of course, but um, <laughs> it's it's an interesting one because it, they're they're much more goal focused. And it, it is essentially a, a tool that is built around website performance as opposed to content performance. We have to remember that. So we're just trying to find the best bits of it to, to fit into what we do. Um, but because they've got engagement rate, which is sort of replacing um, things like bounce rate as kind of a primary metric, and it's also bringing into you know how, how people are scrolling through a page and, and how long people are staying on that page, that's going to be a really meaningful metric. But it is hopefully going to be easier as well in terms of managing internal attribution of our websites. So, you know, how many people read this content and then went on to make a meaningful action or meaningful engagement. But, you know, we call it goals or conversions or events, depending on your setup. It should be a lot easier for that and understanding what valuable customer journeys look like. Um, as to how we plan it into our content, in terms of how do we improve our content, that's still going to be a bit of an interesting one, and I think it needs a bit more exploring. But it's certainly going to help us understand like the the information architecture of our websites and how we 
um, structure our content. I think that's going to definitely improve that. But I suppose the, the the creative element is a little bit of an unknown at this point. And I suppose that's kind of where my theory is. You, you still need that qual to get the context behind what good content looks like, because we're always sort of going to guess from just quant alone. So um, whoever gets that blend right first is, is the winner, <laughs> I think. Matt, thanks. That's fascinating. I could genuinely talk about this uh, all day. Um, but we, <laughs> but we only have so many minutes in the in the podcast. Um, where can people get in touch with you if they'd like to know more about this stuff? Yeah, um, so best bet find me on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for Matt Label. There's not many of me. I've got a weird enough name for it. Uh, or check out Rocky.io and uh, yeah, see our new website. Hopefully launching this week. Wow, amazing. Good luck with that. And um, perfect. So before we wrap up, there's just time for some more inclusive writing advice from Etty Bailey King. Copywriting pro tip. Avoid generalizations. Generalizations, broad umbrella terms and catch all terms, obscure difference. If you're talking about asexual people, then just say asexual people. Don't hide under a broad umbrella term like the LGBTQ plus community. Unless, of course, you are talking about the entire community. And then, of course, feel free to use that term. But just be sure that you're genuinely speaking about the right level of detail here. And you're not trying to sweep people in under a blanket definition of their identities, their wants and their needs. Thank you, Etty. That's really clear, useful advice. And listener, you can hear more inclusive writing advice from Etty next time. We should also thank Katie Colborn for answering Irene's questions so very well and Catherine Wildman for the writing tip earlier. Plus, of course, thanks Irene Trindle, whose question kicked the whole episode off. Uh, and thank you, Matt. You really have been an excellent co-host. No wonder you have a fancy microphone. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, very much so. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, hopefully some of this is some valuable stuff for the people out there. Yeah, I, I'm sure people are, are nodding along and uh, really beginning to think about this stuff and how they can use it. Um, remember, listener, it could be your question we answer in a future episode. If you have a question for B2B Q&A to answer, email a voice memo to podcast at radix-communications.com or find us on social media. I'll see you next time for another B2B Q&A. Until then, make good content. And remember, once you've experienced excellence, you'll never again be content with mediocrity. Yeah, actually, now I think of it, that sounds more like a warning. Oh, well. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.